0: Peacock, the last of the big streaming services, has finally launched nationwide, but it joins a crowded room of streaming services, including Disney Plus and Netflix. So how does this stack up? I'm Roger Chang, and this is your Daily Charge. Thankfully, I don't have to answer that question, because with me is our media expert, Joan Salzman, and software and services reviewer, Allison Denisco-Reaum. Welcome, both of you. Thank, Thank you. Yeah, thanks. All right. Uh, so, Joan, I'll start with you. Peacock is live after having launched in uh, beta mode. To Comcast users uh, a couple of months ago, so so give us a lay of the land now. What does the streaming wars landscape look like?
1: This is basically the last of the big new services to land, at least as far as we know. We had Apple and Disney Plus come in November. Then we had you know depending if you consider it big or not, Quibi came in April, followed by uh, HBO Max in May. And now finally, we have Peacock. And it's a little bit different than the rest of those because it not only is, it has, you know, like big budget originals, a big back catalog like most of those other services do, but it's also doing some other things that are zigging a little bit on the other zag. It has, it's going to have live news, um, live sports, other sorts of news and sports, replays, highlights, that kind of thing. And it crucially, has a free tier. It has a tier with advertising where you can watch about two-thirds of the catalog just by signing up and not paying anything. There are ways that you can take out the ads and unlock the full catalog if you want to pay, but having that sort of on-ramp, that free just sign up and start watching thing, it's something that these other big services in the streaming wars haven't tried yet.
0: Yeah, I mean, just sort of generally speaking, uh, we can talk about the free tier in a bit, but In terms of these other players out there, have any kind of emerged as like a must have service to rival Netflix?
1: Certainly, the streaming service, the new streaming service that's landed with the biggest splash by far is Disney. One media analyst, you know, when it launched last year, there was one media analyst, a widely followed one, who called it one of the greatest product launches of all time. To give you a sense, um, you know, I track Google search trends around these launch dates. And the Google search trends for Netflix are a good baseline. You know, it's established, it's always very popular as a search thing. It gives you a good baseline of how other services stack up in people's search interest. Most of these other services, they haven't crossed the level of Netflix search interest even on launch days. Whereas Disney Plus like quadrupled the amount of Netflix search interests on its launch day. Now it's come down since then, but among these new services, Disney is the one to beat, and nobody has even come close so far.
0: Gotcha. All right. Well, Allison, you've been testing out the service. How has the experience on Peacock been?
2: Overall, I've been having a really positive experience with Peacock so far. To be honest, I wasn't expecting all that much since we do already have so many streaming services. But the fact that it has this free tier, as Joan mentioned, where you can still watch tons of movies and TV shows with ads does make it stand out from competitors like Netflix and Hulu. It gives you something for free that's similar to, say, a Pluto TV or a Tubi, but with this premium streaming service interface, so it looks really good. And you also have the option to upgrade if you want to. It's pretty easy to navigate. It has a few quirks, and there are some features that are still missing. But overall, it's a solid free service at launch, if you don't mind watching those ads.
0: Got it. In terms of that, that user experience, that the navigation, the, the the experience itself, how does it stack up against you know Disney Plus or Netflix or some of these other more polished premium services?
2: So, in my mind, Peacock isn't quite trying to be a Netflix or Hulu or HBO Max. It has a similar, like, tiled layout, and you can browse things by TV shows and movies and get recommendations. But it's kind of doing something different, and it's probably not going to replace any of those others for you, but it's something you can get for free to have more options it reminds me a little bit of Amazon Prime Video in a way. Like on that one, you can get a lot of shows and movies included as part of your Prime subscription, but you'll find others mixed in that you do have to pay for. So on Peacock, you'll find some shows with a little purple feather in the corner, which means you have to upgrade to premium to watch them. But there are still plenty of free options too. And since we're in this time of economic uncertainty, you know, a free service is a welcome option, even if you don't watch it every single day. Right. Uh, and Joan, it's, Beyond this free tier, is there anything
0: else about Peacock that makes it stand out or that folks should know about?
1: Yeah, definitely. The free tier is obviously the first thing that people are going to encounter when they try to sign up and they realize they don't have to provide any sort of payment information to start watching. Um, But beyond that, you know... Being in the pandemic, there's a lot of things that Peacock wanted to have available right now for its launch that aren't going to manifest really until next year or later. For example, the entire reason that it's launching right now in the middle of July is that originally Peacock, which is um, NBC's streaming service, thought they'd be able to piggyback on all the interest in the Olympics that should be happening right now. Um, NBC is the broadcasting uh, partner for the Olympics in the United States. And so, of course, everyone remembers every Olympic season how there's just like blanket coverage on NBC, all of NBC's other um, cable channels. But because we don't have that until next year, that's a huge sort of driver to get people interested and knowledgeable that that the service exists. That just doesn't exist right now. Also, their originals, you know, they have nine original series at launch, but just like everybody else, all their production of new content, at least any live action content had to be suspended in March. And so they don't have as much in their pipeline that's going to be ready to release when they had hoped to release it as they would have if we weren't in this situation where everybody's locked down.
0: Got it. And Alison, and could you break down the, uh, the tiers? Obviously, there's a the free tier that's ad based, but... What are you getting with those? I think there's two different tiers. Can you kind of run through
2: them and what you actually get? Sure. So in the free tier, you get 13,000 hours of TV shows, movies, news, live sports. Some of the biggest name shows you'll find there are Parks and Recreation, 30 Rock, Law and Order, SVU. But you know, some of those are also currently on Netflix and Hulu too. So there's some confusion there potentially. And you also know that The Office won't be coming to Peacock until January when its, com- when its contract with Netflix runs out. But in the meantime, you'll also find current episodes of NBC shows one week later on that free tier. Uh, in terms of movies, you've got some big, slightly older hits like Jurassic Park, The Born Identity, The Matrix, and also some newer, kind of Oscars-y ones like Phantom Thread and Tully. And so for something that's free, you'll probably find something you want to watch but then you'll also find these two paid tiers. One is $5 a month, which gives you access to the full Peacock library, which is about 20,000 hours of TV and movies, but you'll still see ads on that one. If you want to go ad free, it costs $10 a month, and you'll still get that full library as well. Um, A few things you'll find on the premium tiers, but not the free tier, are all of the episodes of Peacock Originals, the major one at launch being Brave New World, and you'll also find more new movies, and also next day access to new episodes of current NBC shows. One interesting thing that we haven't really seen before is that you'll get early access to some shows like Late Night with Seth Meyers and The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon the night that they air. So you can watch them at 8 p.m. instead of 11.30 p.m. But that won't actually start until those shows are back in the studio and not running from home during the pandemic.
0: Okay, gotcha. And, And Joe, we've talked about this before, but there are just too many streaming services out there. They're all asking for money. Yes, I get Peacock has a free tier, but there's clearly they want people to upgrade to one of these premium tiers. uh, How does the market support so many services and like
1: how many services can a
0: household actually afford to pay for?
1: So from the experts that I've talked to and the research that they've been doing, it seems like there's a couple interesting things going on. One is that the total number of streaming services that people are subscribed to, and are trying is going up. Now that's Partially because in the pandemic, so many entertainment choices that we normally would, that normally would keep us from streaming aren't happening right now and we're all locked up in our homes. And so it's the primary way other than regular TV or DVDs that you would entertain yourself when you're stuck at home anyway. So that's partly to do with it. But even before the pandemic, we were starting to see that all of this wave of new services was starting to tap higher the amount of services people were trying and also subscribing to. But what we've found in the pandemic, from the research that I've seen, is that people are also much more willing to cancel subscriptions. So... It's mostly a price sensitivity factor as, you know, jobless numbers are soaring and as people are reconsidering how they dedicate their money every month. Once they hit the point where a free trial ends or a discount ends, they're more willing to quit because they become more educated on other options that don't require payment that can serve their entertainment needs, you know, Allison, she mentioned Tubi. Um, There's other ones like that that are free services that Peacock sort of straddles the line with. People are realizing that they have those as options, too, if they don't want to keep paying.
0: Gotcha. And then, uh, Allison, in terms of your, your experience so far, what are some of the biggest lingering issues
2: or holes in the service? So at launch, Peacock is still missing a good number of features that the other big streaming services have. Like you can't create different profiles, you can't download shows on your phone or tablet, and there's still no support for 4K HDR or Dolby Atmos. All of these are on Peacock's roadmap for the future, but it's kind of disappointing that we don't get them right away. Probably the biggest issue right away might be that you can't watch Peacock on Roku or Amazon Fire TV. We saw the same thing happen with HBO Max's launch in May. So those customers are kind of out of luck unless they want to download it on a mobile device or somewhere else.
0: Gotcha. So um, still, still some holes in the service. Um, I guess just looking ahead and it's a question to both of you, uh, how do you sort of see the, the streaming wars play out over the next couple of months? It might be that might be even too soon to make an accurate prediction or any kind of prediction, but I, I'm curious how you think this all shakes out uh, over the, I guess, the coming years, really.
1: Yeah, the next few months won't tell us much just because everything, not only in streaming video, but everything in the world is operating in such an extraordinary set of circumstances right now. So the next few months probably won't tell us the winners or losers. But over the course of the next few years, we're definitely going to see which services made the right bets, pouring billions of dollars into these new services and which ones dropped the ball and didn't get it right. Clearly, I would like, I have no problem calling it right now. Disney Plus is fine. Disney Plus is going to be around. It is going to thrive unless I, you know, unless they completely change their strategy and become something completely different. Disney Plus is going to be fine. It's really among these other ones that haven't landed with quite as much aplomb as Disney Plus did to see if any of them find that secret sauce to make it a power player in the new streaming television era.
2: No, I totally agree with Joan. And I think in terms of Peacock specifically, I foresee it keeping a good number of people interested in that free tier. I'll be curious to see how many actually make the jump to that paid one, especially for $10 a month. But I think it also depends on if any of the original series really become a breakout hit like The Mandalorian did on Disney+. Plus. But we'll see. There you go. All right. Well, thanks to both of
0: you for joining me. If you have any questions about Peacock, drop us a line at The Daily Charge on Twitter. You can Check out all of our Peacock coverage on cnet.com. For The Daily Charge, I'm Roger Chang, thanks for listening.